0: Here we go, folks, beginning the ninth Fit and Podcast book this evening. Sam Crud, The Santa Ana Wind, is the most recent book in the Fit and repertoire. Sam Crud is written in my favorite style, the first person. For me, writing in the first person tends to be more personal for the characters and median, and how they do and what they do. I'm more aligned with the setting when I'm in the first person. What's the first thing I want to say about Crud? Blonde hair? Overweight, drives a 1966 blue Corvette, works security in a huge, posh, grand-style hotel overlooking the Pacific in California, south of L.A. Or maybe that Crudd is a private investigator. He's cynical. All those things are true. Crudd, without a lot of fanfare, does his job, and he's not averse to breaking the rules to get to the truth. In the hotel, he reports to a retired military man, the colonel who resents Crud being laid back and staying out late with his friends. There's a natural tension between the hotel security job and Crud's business. Crud's close friend on the police force is Sergeant Martin, Marty. Marty helps Crud and Crud helps Marty. Marty's boss is Lieutenant Bender, who loves Sam Crud. Woody, owner of the surf shop on the beach. Woody is full of tricks from having an act in Vegas as Jackie Jumbo. Crud's on-again, off-again girlfriend is Queenie, a local TV reporter. We begin tonight with Mr. Sam Crud, awakened by an early morning phone call from his friend Woody. Crud has only been asleep for a short time since he was up late with his friends. I present to you, Sam Crud and the Santa Ana Wind. Chapter 1. Never underestimate anyone. The one thing I hate about Southern California might seem inconsequential to most people. is when the Santa Ana winds blow into town from somewhere in the upper Mojave or maybe the eastern Sierra and everything gets messed up. No one wants to talk about the trash and the dirt. I complain about my vet being sandblasted by road sand. They don't talk about their discombobulated hair or how he can't even play a baseball game without being distracted by some undulating pitch from a half-rate pitcher. Even my German Shepherd Buster finds shelter away from the onslaught. But it's warm and sunny in California, and you don't tell the folks back east that it's windy in Nirvana, USA. I'm Sam Crudd, private investigator, but I take jobs off the grid. My part-time job as hotel security gives me a place to crash. I rolled over on my pillow and took an occasional mental snapshot through my eye slits of Home Sweet Home, my loft apartment, at the Parisio Oceanico, a huge, linear edifice overlooking the Blue Pacific. Buster lay on the oriental rug, eyes closed, but his ears occasionally twitched. Why the hell was I awake now, anyways? Usually I'm asleep when the sun performs its daily reveille through the side window facing Oceano Beach, or Oceano, as the natives call it. Staying up late is my forte, but I had left the locked window open when I dove onto the bed at 3.16am. I knew the window was open, but I wanted to sleep. I wasn't drunk now, but I was damn tired. The winds had awakened me like melodic wind chimes in the loft by summarily tickling my Aunt Cookie's brass antique Tiffany lampshade. I crawled on my belly across my California-sized bed like I was scurrying in combat under the barbed wire. Buster opened his eyes. Then I shuffled in my skivvies across the smooth wood planks as the wind ruffled my matted blonde hair. I stared out the prop window past the backlit hotel and the brightening Pacific beyond. I felt Buster's soft, smooth fur, and I patted his head. It's damned early, Buster. What the hell did he care? He could sleep in the middle of a cyclone, and he was only 3.0 in dog years and 21 in human years. The steady stream and dry heat lacked the humidity from back east, but was an ideal setting for fast-moving wildfires. Last December, fires broke out of the San Gabriel Mountains to the north. The Oceanico Beach Peninsula had some odd immunity to spreading fires, which was great for a hotel of the size and grandeur of the Parisio Oceanico. The hotel was shadowed in gray-blue, but the sun's yellow glow highlighted the cobblestone service road around back. The deck furniture and the umbrellas had tumbled in the wind, and the ornamental flags were scattered across the deck boards, and the sandpaper dirt produced a constant snare drum patter. The Colonel, my boss, that old Mother Hen, would be ripshit that Mother Nature had upset his obsessive control of every aspect of the Parisio Oceanico, the oldest and largest, as the Colonel would say, and the most elegant hotel in the Southland. The Colonel was army all the way. Buster, going back to bed, I lifted my analog leather watch strap. 6.30 a.m. I had only been asleep for 3 hours and 12 minutes. I pulled the window shut, retaining the glow, but buttressing myself from the windy onslaught. Buster went back to his perch on the rug. Still squinting, I slid the plastic rings of my darkening maroon drapes over the burgeoning sunshine. Damn, I hate waking up, I said to no one except myself and Buster. I like talking to myself and the dog. Somehow, I think he understands every damn thing I've ever said. I always find answers babbling, and the only answer coming to my mind right now is getting back to sleep. I'm crashing. Spread eagle, I leaped onto the form foam mattress, my hefty 257 pounds not even shaking the bed. Maybe if someone was in the garage below, they would have heard the thud. For a few seconds, I questioned why I parked the vet next to the hotel's flatbed maintenance truck. Like everything else in the world, that would piss off the colonel. My space was cordoned off into a stall to the right of the garage next to the stairs leading to the loft. No one would be using the truck on a Saturday morning. And the fiberglass of my 1966 Corvette would be safe from splintering upon impact. I hate the mundane and the boring. I like excitement and adventure. Maybe that's why I couldn't sleep. That dumb missing person's case from that chubby Mrs. Copple in San Bernardino began torturing me. Who cares where Butch had run off to? And I had my responsibilities to the hotel, reporting to the Colonel, I might add. Yet now I was so tired I could feel that all-encompassing feeling pending sleep descending over my muscles and bones. I was only 32, but when I was in my twenties I had no trouble staying up all night. Even when I was prowling the bars with the floozies down on Templeton Street. Now I had become sophisticated by drinking or dining at Maury's Place, a.k.a. the Mediterranean Lounge, which was more than a lounge, yet still a beautiful stucco-walled villa overlooking the extensive gardens above the Pacific. The backdoor bar, entered by a tunnel-like corridor, constructed with old boards from some mine up north, was out back and might as well have been anywhere. It was Maury's manufactured dive. He wanted the back door to retain its grubbiness and cater to the riffraff. The prices weren't for the riffraff. I was now in that strange field of unconsciousness that lay between Dreamland and the LA landscape I had known all my life. I wonder if dogs experience the same thing. Maybe they just conk out. In this twilight world, I could hear the colonel berating me for never having been in the service, and how it had been his honor to serve in Iraq, Afghanistan, and probably the North Pole. Hey, I wasn't a bad person. What's ever made sense in this skewed reality? Everything slowed down now, and I was in free fall toward a well-deserved rest, until my cell's high-pitched signal halted my descent into sleep. Damn. I rolled over, completely pissed now. I saw the smartphone surrounds pulsing light and a small red button light flashing in the corner. What moron is calling me this early? Guess it's you, Colonel. You know I was out late and you just want to harass me. I squeezed the phone as if I were going to crush the damn thing. Yeah. Sam, it's Woody. Dead silence on my part. Sammy, you with somebody? Buster sat next to the bed as if he were monitoring the phone call. Woody. Do you realize how big an asshole you are? Yeah. I thought you'd want to know this. Know what? I kept blinking my eyes as I stood. Eleven skiffs down the marina. Cops were on the way. Some guy was out walking his husky along the boats and saw a body on the deck up front. Since you've woken me up, Woody, would you be so kind as to tell me how this frigging relates to me? You just woke me up on three hours sleep from the back door. I ended the call and hurled the phone onto the mattress. My heart raced like an engine after being shut off and turned on again. No way would I get to sleep now. I just shook my head for the longest time. Buster knew it because he had been stirred from his sleepy corner. I walked in slow motion back to the window. Woody, the pinhead, had just jump-started my day. Pushing my teeth into my lip, I walked the drape back and thrust open the window to another day of wind. Fifty yards away, the colonel, all six foot four inches of his wiry frame, now inspected the deck damage. Even at this hour, he performed his inspections as if he were part of the U.S. Army Reconnaissance Patrol. The gray-haired colonel had donned his shaded green Boy Scout garb called the Parisio Oceanico official uniform. My head snapped to the right when the cell phone performed its light dance. Son of a bitch. Boy, was I in a shitty mood. Even Buster retreated across the room. For your sake, Woody, this better not be you. Hey, it's Marty. Good morning to you, too. Marty still had a leftover accent from somewhere around New Jersey or New York City. Even though he had been on the coast for 15 years... Fourteen of those years with the police department. What the hell do you want, Marty? I know you've been up all night. Wrong. I got a whopping three-hour shut-eye. Sometimes it's better just to stay up all night. I crunch my eyes in the sun's glare as the light shaded red through my eyelids. Let me guess, it's about that slash dude on the Northside Marina. And good old Woody just called you. Don't blame Woody for this call. The sister's been looking for this guy for three days. She's from Bellflower, and she made a comment to me about getting a private investigator. I told her it would be a good idea for her own safety. She just ID'd the body and is freaking out. Marty, what the hell? You think I'm just going to skip over to the marina and start whistling Dixie? Then I thought a little bit more. How did she know this guy was dead? Who called her? The beach patrol officer noticed the boat lights along the dock. By the time he got to the marina, Sam, the boat was gone. So he resumed his rounds. You're telling me the body was already there, Marty? It appears that way. Look, Martha told me the sister would be up here, and she's at the Dark House right now. So what? Just calm her down. She may want to hire you. Size her up and get some information. Talk to her before Lieutenant Bender gets here, because Bender is implementing his investigative excellence program. What's that? PR to the mayor and the city council. You know, just justifying your job. Plus, Sam, Bender hates your guts. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around. I'm supposed to go over hotel incidents and the new electronic security locks with the colonel later this morning. Being the Parisio's in-house security means doing my job. Sam, I need you over here as a personal favor. This is a very odd case. Knife wound and no blood anywhere guy just sprawled out on the deck with a gaping wound across his neck. Looks as if his body was conveniently dunked in the ocean. Calling in the goods, Martin? a matter of fact, I am. If she, get, if she gets a P.I., I want someone who knows what the hell they're doing. Then why'd you call me? I asked, knowing my friend was smiling. What do I get paid? I was still upset for Woody calling me in the first place. You'll have to work that out with her. Listen, Marty, you tell her it's $75 an hour, 45 cents a mile, and all expenses. Period. Are you coming over or not? Who's the sister and who's the deceased? Deceased is a guy named Al Compton, Morgan City. Sister's name is Megan Stoller, divorced. She's a looker, dressed to the nines. Wait, how do you know who the guy is? I asked. Wallet. Don't you find it odd, Marty, that somebody murdered Compton and left his wallet on him? And you called the sister? No, sir. Just help me out, will you? Let me have a coffee and donuts, Marty. Give me a half an hour. I already have the coffee and donuts. Don't forget Bender, Marty. He loves those vanilla cream donuts. Investigative excellence. With Buster having done his business in the underbrush, I brought him to my Aunt Cookie and Uncle Muck's apartment across the hall from the loft. I prepared to outfox the Colonel. There's no way to back my 1966 vet out of the garage below my loft apartment without the 427 cubic inch engine alerting the ever-vigilant Colonel John Aloysius Crocker from his morning surveillance. He was just the manager of the Parisio Oceanico. Hollywood director Orrin Harbinger owned the Parisio. Although I knew the colonel had no idea that Orrin Harbinger would be in jail now if not for me. I was doing security at a wild party. My client was Patsy Paradise, a second-rate actress with a first-rate body. That's what drew Harbinger across the crowded room. When he found out how boring Patsy was, he began talking with me. He was a nice guy and not even drinking. I didn't know he owned the Parisio. That's when the cops raided the building. Some guy had underage girls in the bedroom. Harbinger didn't need to know this until later, but I didn't want him to get arrested. Earlier, I had been escorted by Patsy up a back staircase from the garden shared with other buildings. I got Harbinger out via the staircase, and he never forgot it. It saved his career and his marriage. A week later, I had the security gig at the Parisio Oceanico and a promise from Harbinger to call him on his private line if I ever needed any help. for him to pull some strings in my open corvette convertible i slowly passed through the third bay of the lower garage i rolled by the hotel's flatbed truck and began my long slow 180 degree turn around the massive 100 year old hotel even with the wind the sun warmed my hair i put on my red and gold cap from harbinger's last film the last battle As I turned into the sunshine, the colonel stood upright on deck level and waved me up the long wooden staircase. I opted for the phone. I speed dialed his handle, Crackerjack. He was always confounded as to how I dug that nickname out of a background check from an obscure unit decades in the past and somewhere in the Middle East. Above on the deck, I watched him deliberately not pick up the damn phone. He was thinking he could fake me into thinking he didn't have his phone prompting me to climb the stairs. When I shifted up the incline and traced the hotel, he reached into his pocket. Although I couldn't see his crumpled up face, I knew he was pissed. Where do you think you're going, crud? I trolled him. Hey, is that you, Colonel? Damn right it's me. You have a nine o'clock meeting with the hotel staff about the robberies and then the finishing up of the new locks. That's robbery, singular, Colonel. And it's only 6.30 or so. You may have to postpone that meeting. Shorty has the info. Shorty was my second-in-command, according to the colonel. He really was short. Five-foot-three with a red-burst of mustache right out of the old west. He had been a security cop at department stores around the Southland. Sure, postpone the meeting. What, so you can lie around in the sun with your beach-bum buddies drinking beer all day and watching bikini-clad young things along the shore? Yeah, that's about right. Now the Colonel was in my side mirror, having scampered the length of the deck. Like its presence was gonna get me up there. What did you say? I have a potential case. Another screwball cash register heist at that dumbwit woody surf shop. No, sir. The colonel loved it when I called him, sir. Now I was heading down the other side of the hill and around the hotel's majestic balcony overlooking the ocean. I demand you come back here, Mr. Rock call Mr. Harbinger at his studio. He's not in L.A. He's on vacation before they make the next movie. Short stay in the south of France. Now why would he confide that in you? Asked the colonel. Just lucky, I guess. Then I started humming and singing the army song. Over hill, over dale, as we hit the dusty track. I wanted to hear him utter my name two times. Then I took immense enjoyment in pushing the end call with my thumb colonel was making idle threats probably did that all the time when he was in the army i got under his skin like the little bugs down at the beach at sunset plus my perplexing relationship with harbinger kept the colonel awake at night chapter 1b uncle muck stood with his maintenance crew up the elongated balcony muck saluted and then formed a pillow with his hands as if he were sleeping Muck was telling me he knew I came in late. Muck never knew how I got him and Cookie the job at the Parisio Oceanico. Nor did Muck know how lucky Lucy had hung over me all night while I played poker with Maury and Bad in the back door until the wee hours. Lucy was savvy but trouble, and I always avoided her unless I needed a favor because she knew everything along Oceanico Beach. Plus, she was outgoing and pretty funny. She always had an entourage of friends with her. I unfolded my arms and shrugged my shoulders. I wish I hadn't lost 300 bucks to Bad. I could still hear his gravelly cadence. You lost gruddy, you lost big. What's worse, you lost to me. The only consolation was that Bad had to be at his trucking company at 5 a.m. I smiled at that one, wondering if he thought that 300 bucks was worth it. I paused at the stop sign and checked out the pool. Bikinis didn't show up until at least nine. Then I thought about the name of Bad's company, Byron's All Destinations. Somehow his customers loved his dumbass name, Bad. My phone rang as I moved in second gear down the long straightway toward town. Marty, now what? Where are you, Sam? I'm on my way, Marty, I said, raising my voice just enough to push back. Linda called me from the station. Benda just got in his car. So? Sam on his way down here step on the gas of that machine ms Stoller is waiting in the dark house and she's freaking out about her brother being murdered i know you can calm her down and get some info ten minutes marty i told him and i cut the call boom boom bender with the fat face the guy could never lose weight he was boom boom because he had never lost the opportunity to fire his 38 a couple times over the years he had been suspended for being boom boom I left the stop sign corner faster than I wanted to, screeching the vets' tires briefly. At least the colonel didn't hear that screech. Muck probably did from the balcony or Some high-paid maid might get word back to the colonel that I was causing trouble for hotel patrons. Maybe not. I continued along the shore up Oceanico Boulevard, where the preserved bushes ended and the long stretch of beach began. The majestic Parisio Oceanico was bright in the morning sun and sat atop a rolling knoll that overlooked Oceanico and dozens of beaches northward to Santa Monica. Sunbathers, mostly female, were already spreading their towels on the sand, as if the sun before 7 a.m. would somehow transform their pale skin into alluring sexy bodies. When the wind whipped into the vet, I realized the Santa Anas were shooting up the canyons. My phone rang. Expander, said Bad, as the truck engine roared in the background. "Thought you'd be snoring at this hour, Bad." Are "You kidding? I just have to get this load over to Phoenix. We're uh, short on drivers. When you own the business, you fill in the gaps." "I know, I know." Bad had a service haircut, a boot training marine's body, and Irish green eyes. He produced a guttural chuckle. <laughs> "I just want to let you know I'm giving you a chance to win back your money." "That right." I asked, ready to hang up. Being the nice guy that I am, we'll play the next game at the Mediterranean. Yeah, like Maury's going to let us gamble at the Med, I said. He keeps getting calls from Bender about gambling. That's why we're at the back door. Does the uh, lieutenant wish to partake in some high-stakes poker? Right, right. I think you cheated me out of that money bad. Byron Cody never gives out his secrets. Yeah. Not what Lucky Lucy says. Did she tell you something about me? Asked Bad. Nothing I don't already know, Bad. I like Lucy. Call me when you come back. I'm giving you ample warning, dude. Thanks. I said, cutting the call with a smile, and set my phone on the bucket seat. My second phone was in my cargo shorts pockets. Bat was a formidable and undeniable piece of work. But he was loyal as hell, and in a fight I wouldn't want anyone else standing by my side. Bad had a deadly left hook, and his right one wasn't Bad either. He just wouldn't give up when he fought. And when he was drunk, as he was last night, Bad would sing the words from Tennessee Ernie Ford's classic 16 tons. If the right one don't get you, then the left one will. And the left one would. The busty Lucy provided the background. My voice can't capture Bad's baritone. Raised in Pasadena, Bad had always been in trucking since he was a kid. The old man had trucking jobs and I didn't know whether to believe Bad when he said he started driving when he was 11 years old. An aging waitress at the mid named Karen Bossy told me Bad had the nickname Bad before he had the trucking company. Made no sense to me since the acronym was related to the trucking company. Bad always asked her if she was Bossy and then he'd laugh at his own joke over and over. I had a green light at the beach pier. At noon, the crosswalks would be knee-deep with beachcombers. Ahead, the blue water and sailing rigs were surrounded by rows of dock boats. I felt the wind now. Everyone would be worried about the fire in the mountains. I checked the upper parking lot for Benda's blue and white Ford Explorer. Good. The SOB hadn't arrived unless he parked along the skiffs. He would do that just to show he was the magnificent... Lieutenant Don Bender, Fender Bender, who made the Oceanico Beach Police Force jump. He hated me because he had the fatal weakness that a supervisor or commander should never have. Bender was the epitome of arrogance, and it wasn't just me talking. When I proved him wrong, he hated me even more. I signaled for Marina Drive. Three surfer-type guys in pullover shirts and shorts watched the developing situation from the corner. Bender and his super-duper SUV had not yet reached the marina. Bud Cornford's medical examiner's van was back toward one of the boats. I didn't want the vet parked on the sidewalk. In fact, with its fiberglass body shell, I didn't want the vet on marina drive at all. I swung the car beyond the medical examiner's van and onto the boardwalk dock. Marty was already walking alongside the car as I fine-tuned my parking. Sam, he said, handing me a small coffee. Thanks. You know, you shouldn't be parking there, Sam. Oh, is that right, Marty? I shouted in the escalating breeze. Marty's slick back hair wasn't affected by the breeze. Then I popped my wide shoulders out the convertible without opening the door. The last time I looked, this is a place for boats, not cars. There are a half dozen spaces a half mile back toward town. Denzel's speedy parking. They'll have this Corvette on the five freeway and race it into the high desert. Marty's dark eyes darted right. Just leave the damn car here. Let's go over to Miss Stolo before Bender gets here. I'm all for that, Marty. I looked through the sun rays to the officials gathered around the boat called Ruthless Waves. Who owns that boat? A guy named Ernie Cunningham from Cerritos. He's on his way over and has no idea how the body got on his boat. Could be random, because there's no blood. Like somebody just wanted the body over here away from wherever the murder took place. Might help, Marty, if you tell me who the hell this Al Compton is. The only thing we have on him is he's been unemployed for six months. I popped the tab on my Styrofoam coffee cup. Arrests? Oh, yeah, explained Marty as we watched. Couple of breaking and enterings, transportation of stolen goods. He's been in Escobedo twice. The guy's a real gem, Sam. I refrained from drinking Marty's special cold sewer blend of coffee. His intentions were good, but his coffee sucked. You got this coffee at the station. Hey, beggars can't be choosers. Yes, they can, I said, pouring the coffee into the trash barrel. You hurt my feelings, Sam, said Marty sarcastically. Right, I said, the putrid coffee still acidy in my mouth. Compton's present address. Morgan City. Wife still lives up there. We can't reach her. It's almost three hours north, Marty. Maybe he was killed up there. We'll have to wait to get the details from Bud, I nodded, and then started the Marty crud procession along the dark boardwalk to the boat called the Ruthless Wave. Wouldn't you know, stooped over Bud Cornford, stood right on the deck as if he had been waiting for me. Another week, another autopsy. His hair was thin, probably colored weeks ago, now faded to blonde. He had deep smile lines, a wrinkled forehead, and crow's peak valleys, probably caused from his number one habit I knew of, smoking and the bud hung out of his mouth when he caught sight of me. Oh, no! I must have started up his old ticker. I was sure he would have retired last year, but the old buzzard was still here. You're not coming aboard this vessel, Crud. I saw your damn phone number on my cell. What are you, the captain of the ship now, bud? I asked, and Marty laughed. (laughs) Marty, you know Crud has no authorization to be on this boat. Well, he's peripherally involved in the investigation, bud, said Marty. "Well, Bullshit. How? I'm looking at my email and text messages. I don't see any authorization from Lieutenant Bender. Now the old coot blocked the entrance as if he were going to personally push me back. I began laughing. (laughs) What the hell is so funny, crud? You want me to get you a pair of boxing gloves, bud? Hey, I was a quick little weight in my day. "'replied Bud, but he never elaborated. "'I didn't know they had boxing during the Civil War,' I said, still laughing. (laughs) "'I noticed something odd. "'Why don't you go back to your cushy job over the Oceanico?' "'Then he moved his spotted hands as if he were directing traffic. "'Come on, cried off the boat, off the boat!' "'Okay,' I said, turning. "'Marty and I started down the cement walk. "'Band loathes you, Sam. He'll never agree to let you on the boat,' said Marty. I turned and yelled back at Bud. Hey, thanks a lot, Bud. Don't mention that, said Bud, still chuckling. I waited until we had crossed the road, and then I faced Marty. Tough luck, Sammy. I'll fill you in on what he finds. You should see Stola before you do anything else. Marty poured the rest of his coffee into the trash bin. I'll call you later, Marty. She may hire you, Sam. I don't know. This thing is hot. Just get her over to the hotel until we can fully interview her. I nodded as Marty backtracked along the street to bud back on the boat. I started down the sidewalk toward the gray shingled dock house at the end of the boardwalk. I grabbed my phone and pushed Woody's landline number at the surf shack. Hey, I see you, Sam. I gazed up at Woody's shop on surf drive back toward the beach. You're going to get arrested with those high-powered binoculars, Woody, I said with the phone pressed to my right ear. Oh, you have no idea what I Yeah, you sleazeball. You're a Vegas guy with voices. I want you to get on your special line. Use your Captain Cranston voice. Tell Bender to get back into town and meet Bud Cornford at the morgue about the Al Compton case. Then call Bud and get him over to the same building. That should give me about 20 minutes before they realize what's going on. What number do I use? Use Cranston's number. It's going to cost you a lunch, Sam. Lunch? You get them out of here and I'll buy you drinks and dinner at the Med. I love this kind of shit, said Woody in an excited voice. I could almost see him, in his Hawaiian shirt and his little ponytail with his huge teeth sticking out like a racehorse studded for pasture. I know you do. Ciao. I smiled and stuffed the phone in my pocket. But I realized how that line number-changer I had bought from the Pakistani two years ago in Tijuana had found a nice home with the mimic expert, Woody Jackie Jumbo from Vegas. So many times that phony call had gotten me out of jams and into places I didn't belong. I stepped inside the dock house. A uniformed officer stood in front of the rec room door. Do I know you? I'm Chris Pollock. I shook his hand. Sam Crud. Sergeant Martin said you'd be over. She okay? Yeah, she called her sister and Receda. She's pretty upset. Reseda? Understood. Thank you. I walked into the rec room. A stunning woman with frosted brown hair sat at the end of a green-flowered futon. Her iridescent blue eyes were moist. When she saw me, she overtly sunk her forehead into her hands. A styrofoam coffee cup with lipstick on the rim sat at the end of a glass table. Ms. Stoller? She gazed upward. The eyes were glazed, but not swollen or red. She was a knockout, even with her saddened demeanor. When she stood, her skirt tightened at the hips, revealing long legs and black stilettos. Her white blouse had a ruffled front. Sam? Ms. Stoller. I shook her hand. Her nails were clear and manicured. Somehow, her persona didn't match up with Al Compton's alleged lifestyle. She steered me over to a large window overlooking the Pacific. Sailboats were already moving over the choppy waters along the rock jetty. I'm sorry about Al. She squinted as she spoke. I could give you a hundred times, Sam, that Al might have been whacked by somebody, but this wasn't one of them. Funny she used the word whacked. That wasn't consistent with her dress and demeanor. How was this different? Well, she said, wiping her nose with a tissue. I'd like to just go home. This has been very trying. The police need to speak with you about Al. Well, she said in a shrill voice. Al was working off the record, not hanging around getting shitfaced at Finnegan's and Rio Matros. He was clean for two months. Why are you here? I mean, how did you find out about Al's death? Andy Moffat, an officer in Bellflower. They heard it on the scanner. Andy called me. When's the last time you saw Al? She sniffled. Oh, a couple weeks ago, but where? At his house in Morgan City. Just tell the sergeant to interview me at my house in Bellflower. Do you need a private investigator? Well, sure. I'm a woman who doesn't shy away from help. Okay. This woman had traits of an actress out of a B-movie from the 1940s. I tried to picture the dead man and what kind of a guy he was when he was alive, which wasn't that long ago. I'm trying to say, he was getting money under the table. I see. Why was he murdered by the ocean? You're the detective? Investigator, look, I can give you some security until the police get a handle on this. So that's the way you scientific detectives work, my god, for a fat, middle-aged, hard-boiled, pig-headed guy, you've got the vaguest way of doing things I've ever heard of. Look lady, I'm just trying to help. The ocean, Miss Stoller. Why the ocean? She began her tissues to the nose routine as she cried. They killed him. Isn't that enough? Who is they, Miss Stoller? I'm not sure. Must have been in Rio Martos then, Miss Stoller, because he frequented that bar you just mentioned in Rio Martos. I just don't know... They had me ID the body. Horrible. Oh, God, I'm so scared. Al knew somebody would get him. He told me direct. You know what he'll do when he comes back? Beat my teeth out, then kick me in the stomach for mumbling. That line sounded familiar, but I couldn't place it. This woman was definitely overacting, as she threw her head back. I didn't trust her performance. Chapter 1. C can I see your license, Miss Stoller? Oh, well, I uh, I left in such a hurry, Sam. I forgot my wallet. I'm so sorry. Again, she started the crying routine. Al's been in jail. Stoller hadn't expected that information. Anyone from his incarceration who might have been after him? Al never talked about his time away. She said, gazing out the window, probably because she didn't want to look me straight in the eye. Then she began a series of accentuated sniffles. So you dodge that one. <laughs> Where's his wife? She hesitated. In, in, in Morgan City, I suppose. Do you want me to find Al's killer? I asked. Uh, I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure? Don't you care who killed your brother? Of course. I want to find the truth. I'm just... Very tired, Sam, and I need my sister, and I fear for my life. She thrust her chin upward. Why are you afraid for your life? Isn't it obvious? She said, snapping her head back toward me. No. Is someone after you? My brother is dead, damn it! I have connections to the Parisio Oceanico. I can keep you safe while the police and I look into this. Well, sure, maybe... You are very confusing, Ms. Stoller, I said. I wondered if I brought Lucy over here, if she could find out why this woman was so ambivalent. Well, yes, okay. I'll tell you right now. If you're not leveling with me, they'll be all over you, believe me. I mean, you dress great. You're very articulate, but you don't seem sincere. I can afford a blemish on my character, but not on my clothes. Right, I tilted my head. I had heard that line somewhere before, too. Out the other window, I saw Bud run to his van. Good job, Woody. He should be back in Vegas. Bud soon backed out onto the street, and I forced myself not to grin. Woody's act at the cowpoke in Vegas was billed as Jackie Jumbo. But that was some time back. He was quite good with impressions and drinking binges, now that he was back at Oceanical Beach. Then it came to me. What she had said about the scientific detective was written by Dashiell Hammett. Listen, Ms. Stoller, I'm going back to Sergeant Martin and over to the hotel. I don't want to stay here making you uncomfortable. Thank you. My friend Lucy can sit with you. Then I strongly suggest you come over to the hotel. No, I'm okay. We can link up later. I took out a card. You can reach me at the Parisio Oceanico. I run security over there and I have an office downtown. My secretary's name is Shirley. Do I need to forward you some money if I hire you? I don't have my wallet. So you said. We can talk about this later, I said, patting her shoulder. She must have worked out a lot because her muscles were firm. When you're ready, we can meet downtown or at the hotel. In the meantime, Lucy will help you. Thank you, Sam. Her skin was cold and sweaty now when she shook my hand. I'll talk to you later. Find the truth, Sam. It may be a hardship. Hardships make or break people. Then she smiled for no reason at all. I've heard that before, I said as I headed for the door. I just made it up. Sure, sure you did. I'll get you to the hotel shortly, and you can't be too careful. As I reached Officer Pollock, I told him I'd bring Lucy over to sit with Megan. Lucy spent enough time gabbing at the Met every night, They called her Lucky Lucy, but it wasn't because she was a great gambler. Once I was on the front stoop, I placed a call to Lucy. Hello, Sammy. Her voice was what I could call rapacious. Always looking for the quick score. And it didn't matter what that score was. Lucy, I need you to do me a favor. I've been waiting for that for years, Sammy. Her voice made me laugh. Stop it! A guy named Al Compton was just found dead on one of the skiffs at the marina. His sister's at the dark house. Her name is Megan Stoller, and she needs someone to sit with her until her sister gets here from her Listen to what's going on, Lucy. Something about Stoller seems fake to me. You know people, Lucy. Let me know what you think. So, you think she's playing you? Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. Shut up, Lucy. Do you want the job or what? I started up the sidewalk. How much? Fifty. Keep going. Listen, Lucy, I'll give you a hundred and keep your mouth shut on anything you hear. I like Benny Franklin. When can you be ready? Ten minutes. Look for my vet. Anytime, Sammy. Lucy, slightly overweight, wore a black sweatshirt with hello in pink letters that matched the color of her yoga pants. She always had a smile as wide as Cleveland, and she spoke with a deep, scratchy laugh. Bad has won those poker games too many times. <laughs> Why do you say that, Lucy? Matter in numbers, my dear cried. then came the laugh. <laughs> Bad doesn't cheat, I said as I veered toward the side road around the dock house. I rounded the vet, helped the hefty Lucy from the passenger seat. That vet is like a damned low rider, said Lucy as we entered the dock house from the side. In the window, I saw a stoler on her cell phone. She was startled as we walked inside. I'll call you back, she said as she faced us with a nervous smile. "Miss Stoller, this is my friend Lucy. She'll stay with you until we're done with Lieutenant Bender and Sergeant Martin. And then you can go to the hotel. Thank you, Sam, she said, squeezing my hand. Lucy rolled her eyes. Call me, I said. You talking to me? asked Lucy with her laugh. <laughs> Both of you. Call me, I said as I exited through the front door. Marty stood on the sidewalk in front of the skiff. He looked nervous, bouncing from foot to foot. I wondered if he realized Jackie Jumbo, Woody, from Vegas ten years ago, had just conned his boss and the medical examiner. Marty turned and walked toward me as I crossed the street. Lucy's in the dark house, said Marty. I don't know about that woman. She's acting like a woman in a film noir movie. She's messed up with Compton Murdered. I looked toward the skiff. Where's the van? Oh, you hit the double header, Sam. Both Bud and Bender got called over to the morgue. Why? I asked as we continued toward the boat. Who knows? What exactly did Stoller say? All this drama. She wanted to go home to Bellflower. I asked Lucy Lawton to come sit with her. <laughs> Lucky Lucy. She has a reputation, Sam. I'm asking her to sit with the woman, not take her out on the town. Lucy will keep her eyes and ears open. Something isn't right with that woman stole her. All right, I get it. We'll talk to her, Sam. Let's hope Bender gets tied up, I said. I followed Marty over the plank and onto the deck. What did they find in here? Listen, Bud said the body was lifted on the deck, probably from a boat. Compton was killed early last night, early. Throat slashed left to right from behind. Where was he killed? What am I, a damn GPS, Sam? We've only been here half an hour. I panned the glossy deck. In the sunlight, I saw scuff marks, and someone had swabbed down the boards. What intrigued me was a tiny white berry with a pink edge that may have been brushed aside when somebody cleaned the deck. Without the sunshine creating the glare at this time of day, I wouldn't have seen the swabbing marks. I wasn't aware of berries like this along the marina, or even in town. I followed Marty to the forward deck, but again I was drawn to the crushed berry. Before I joined him, I reached over and snatched the berry. I slid it in my pocket as Marty and a couple of technicians stood over Al Compton in a blue pullover shirt and light cargo shorts. The blue pullover was waterlogged. Al Compton, his gray hair matted down, was stretched out like a mannequin with work boots perpendicular to the bow of the boat. "'Whoever brought him here was an idiot,' I said. "'Looks like they laid him out in a funeral parlor.' "'This dirt under his nose, he may have fallen a few times,' said Marty. "'Chased? Right, right. Abrasions on his knees.' I pulled back the sheets. Compton also had marks on his cheekbones and armpit, as if they lifted him onto the deck. The gouge on his throat was Grand Canyon Deep with no blood. "'Was the wound washed in salt water?' I asked the young blonde woman who was studying Al Compton's work boots. "'The boot treads were clean.' she nodded don't know if it was deliberate i see that i said what about the boots he ran through scrub brush gritty soil side of a hill or a mountain said the woman about my age knees scraped some grit under the skin but the boots looked like what you might see in a store i'm sam crud private investigator i flipped her my card marty pursed his lips he's with me said marty with a touch of frustration in his voice The younger one looked as if she was just driven from the high school biology lab. Mandy Dunn, Henry Ford, said the beanpole guy next to her. Your parents named you Henry Ford, I asked. My father liked Fords, if you say so. This man had been drinking. We don't know what. We'll know more once Dr. Cornford gets him back to the office, said Marty. I handed Henry a card also and instructed them both to keep the cards tucked away. Bud would flip out if he knew I had visited the skiff in his absence. Then again, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Marty's cell rang. Sergeant Martin. No, sir. I don't know anything about it. What did Captain Cranchin say? Are you kidding me? Yes, sir. Of course. Okay. Bender, I asked. Hey, he's fuming, Sam. He's on his way back with Cornford. So you better split. and Just keep it hush-hush that you were here. Thanks, Marty. I owe you. You owe me a hundred said marty slapping him on the shoulder keep that woman safe while she has to cooperate the berry in my pocket bothered me could have come off a sneaker or a work boot i needed to get the berry checked at my alma mater at long beach i looked down the sidewalk and thought about what happened someone pulled up in a small boat in the middle of the night i jogged left to the vet and pulled out my voice recorder check berry at cal state long beach call chippy or dr swenson science department also, once Megan Stoller is at the hotel, bring her to dinner and question her about Al Compton. Take Woody with me down to this Finnegan's in Rio Martos. Trouble with the voice recorders is that I'd use them once at the beginning of a case and I'd get so busy I'd forget. I started the vet and zoomed by the skiff. Again, I picked up the recorder. Al Compton had to have been killed away from the marina. Who in Finnegan's knew Al Compton? Chapter two I had a late breakfast downtown and retreated back to the hotel. Lucy told me on the phone that Stoller was awaiting questioning by Bender. I reminded Lucy I could send my lawyer Harry Cranston, the police captain's cousin, to the dockhouse if necessary. She declined and more concerned about her takeout order for Stoller and herself, I ended the call and drove around the back of the hotel. Even the colonel doesn't know the pathway through the branches and the tree roots of the Oceano Beach Preserve, where Buster takes care of his business. Taking the vet through that winding, constricted trail is not the hut setup. The wind made it worse. Woody said that the trail used to be a path that led behind the inlet, east of the hotel. He brought me through there in his dune buggy around five years ago. We cleared out a small opening diagonal to the rear of the garage. I told Muck and Cookie about it when we successfully navigated the vet onto the sandy stretch behind the garage. When I did not want the Colonel to know I was back on the property, I'd drive slowly after checking the deck with the binoculars. Then I'd park the car parallel to the stucco garage. At 11.30, I snuck into the garage from the side door to Muck's cubbyhole electrical supply closet. I easily scaled the stairs. Muck and Cookie were just finishing up tuna salad sandwiches and V8 juice, which I thought was way too thick for my taste. fleet-footed buster jumped up and down and went into a wagging tail blitzkrieg. I patted his head and gave him a treat. He's been out, Sam, said Muck. Thanks. My uncle, a narrow-shouldered man with greasy black hair, could fix anything mechanical. He held his V8 glass in the midair. The colonel is a prick. Gee, Muck. I said with a wide smile, thanks for the inside information. Cookie laughed as she put out her cigarette. Yeah, he told Muck he hadn't fixed the lights in room 1454, right, Muck? I mean, he yelled like a madman, Sam. He's got my guys running all over the hotel ever since that storm last week, said Muck, finishing the V8. I find that with the colonel, I said as I poured myself a tall glass of milk, "'that if you pacify the prick,' Muck smiled. "'Just acknowledge him and then do what you have to do.' "'Late night, Sam?' asked Cookie. "'Yeah.' I nodded. "'Poker in the back door.' "'I never can win at those poker games,' said Muck. "'I nodded. "'I usually average out, but last night I lost to Byron.' "'Muck rolled his eyes. "'And by the way, the Colonel is pissed at me and you. "'What did you do?' Not me, the Santa Annas. Moving all the deck furniture like it's my fault. He's really pissed, said Muck. He told you that, Muck? Yeah, he had to cancel his security meeting, said Cookie. High level security, I said, and set the glass in the sink. He'll resecure it. I'm going downtown after I shower. New case? asked Muck. Is that where you were going this morning? No. Dead guy down at the marina, one of the boats, throat slashed. I grabbed my keys off the door hook. Only I don't think he was killed on the boat. I think the sister wants me on the case. I may have to call you to put her in the suite across from the hall here. Got any leads on the murder? Asked Cookie as she pushed the chair to the table. Not really. Some. Well, you'll be careful, Sammy, said Cookie as she hugged and kissed my cheek. He was careful, Cookie. He wouldn't be in this line of work. I made a sour face at Muck. Say hello to the prick. I ain't saying nothing, said Muck. The colonel buzzed my phone just as I crossed the drawbridge into town. It was as if I had tripped an electronic device alerting him. I thought I'd better answer the call. With the wind, I had the white convertible top up, even though I thought about placing the bubble top on later. Colonel. Where are you, crud? He asked with his military bearing. I'm in town, sir. L.A.? No, Oceano Beach. He had a snuffled laugh. <laughs> I don't consider that town. I've rescheduled the security meeting promptly at... 1400 hours. Okay. Hopefully next time you won't be playing poker all night. I shifted on Central Ave and the building shadows crossed over the vet. How do you know about that? Intelligence. Oh, you found someone with intelligence to help you? I asked with a subtle chuckle. I smiled and looked down at the phone on the seat. Not funny, crud. If I had my way, I'd fire your ass before you could say Jack Robinson. I'll make a note of it. Then he ended the call. Muck was right about the colonel, he was a prick, and I didn't like him snooping in my business, trying to find something egregious to have me removed from the hotel. I swung the vet into a street space less than two car lengths from the front door of the Guzman building. I inserted my visa card into the meter slot and hopped outside. Even with the wind, the air was starting to heat up, and I was relieved by the cooler lobby air of the old 20th century building. Hey, Sam. "'Tough luck in that game last night,' said Max, "'a fluffy white-haired black man "'who had been concierge here for a quarter of a century. "'He always wore a white shirt and the same blue tie "'with a gold tie-clip. "'Does everyone in town know I was at that game?' "'Max opened his eyes wide. Woody, Oh, Woody was here,' I asked. "'Surely wasn't in yet,' he called the desk. "'I'm cranky, Max, when I don't get much sleep.' "'Got that right.' said max as i pushed the elevator button the ornate woodwork made me feel like i was back in the mid 20th century to my right was a glass pneumatic tube that used to bring mail around the building who won the dodgers game last night dodgers 3-2 angels lost to boston said max the door started to close boston is tough in september ain't that the truth said max and the door is closed The elevator with a thousand voices creaked and rumbled toward the fifth floor. Upstairs I stepped into the corridor, lined with a stinky flowery rug that was probably here before Max. My office was behind the frosted glass door at the end of the corridor. The black letters read, John S. Perlman Construction, and that was John S.'s office six years ago before he went broke. I stepped into a cheap rent situation and didn't list the location anywhere just in case some rotten SLB might want me to back off an investigation. The short-haired, perky Shirley, a little overweight and always in a colorful sundress, sat behind a computer at her desk, watching the TV monitor. Queenie, a.k.a. Maura McGonigal, a TV reporter for KC-75, held her microphone to Dave Duncan in the mayor's office. Duncan prattled on, but my eyes were fixed on Queenie and her golden hair, which looked like it had just been blow-dried. The slender Queenie would show up regularly at the Mediterranean. A few years ago, I had inadvertently spent the night with Queenie when we were both drunk. It wasn't the way it sounds. Not my style to go bed-hopping. Both of us felt bad about it. Still, we remained friends. Shirley knew about that night. She's very cute, Sam, said Shirley, teasing me. Yes, ma'am. I said, knowing that Queenie and I blew the possibility of a real relationship on that drunken binge. I watched the monitor. She was sharp and I liked sharp. Her legs were skinny and so was she and she had an energetic personality. A real spitfire with a wide, ready smile. You like her, Sam. I do. How was your poker game last night? Asked Bad. He's probably spent my money in Phoenix. what he called, He said your message box is filled again. Good. Now no one can leave a message. He has my other phone number. He says to call him when you get in. She lifted a posted note. A Megan Stoller called the office. And that wonderful Lieutenant Bender. He called you a dumbass bastard. Forget Bender. Then Marty called after that and Dr. Cornford. They all complained about my filled mailbox. I said, raising my brows at her. Correct. Shirley always flashed a quick smile. They don't have your other smartphone number. Only you and Woody and my aunt and uncle even know I have the other smartphone. Shirley flipped the notepad. Maury left Palm Springs. He'll be back at the Met around dinner. Now you know why I divert my calls, I said as I opened my office door. Stoller seemed in a hurry, Sam. not nervous or anything, just in a hurry. I know she wants to get back to Bellflower. Thanks, Shirley. A busy call waiting signal sounded on Stoller's phone as I entered my office. I still used John S.'s old wooden oak chair with the black leather pad seat. The old chair was stronger than most chairs you'd buy in the store today. I looked out the shattered blinds at the smaller Oceano Beach buildings toward Los Angeles and the mountains in the distance. I picked up the Bakelite black telephone, not original, and called my college friend Chip Wilcox, now the Dean at Cal State Long Beach. Then I placed the berry or flower, slightly wilted, on my desk blotter. I sat down. Dean Wilcox. Oh, aren't we formal? This is this who I think it is? He asked. Chippy, it's Sam. Well, well, well. I was beginning to think you'd left that island for where you're always going to. Boa Constrictor? Boa catom. Where have you been? After the class reunion, we spent that... Last weekend at Redondo Beach with Karen and Kathy D. We had a great time. Went to the Rams game. You exited out with Kathy D and then you're gone. Good summation, Chip. I laughed out loud. Kathy D is history. You dumped her. No, Kathy D likes her men. I'm not going to stand in line. Sorry, Sam. Wait, wait. What do you want? I leaned back in the chair. How good is Dr. Swenson's botany department? What? Why? I need an identification of a plant or flower. I don't know what the hell it is. You're unbelievable. I know that. How long will it take? I don't know, Sam. Have it brought over to my office. I'll have somebody get on it. I sincerely thank you, Buana. Sure you do. You want me to get Kathy D's number for you? I asked in a whisper. So magnanimous, Sam. Talk to you later. Thank you, Chip, I said, smiling, and I hung up. I thought about Kathy D, all five foot nine inches of her. I thought she was a good kid until Woody clued me in that she was quite drunk all the time and dancing at stymies in the city with Kid Garrett, a lightweight from Whittier, and about a half a dozen other guys. Shirley turned on the small monitor on her desk. A few seconds later, she stood. Fire in the Imperial Valley, Sam. Where? In proximity to San Jacinto, the mountain. That's near Mori in Palm Springs. Started in a campground and is progressing around the surrounding hills to the mountain. Ten percent contained, south of Chandler. Makes me glad I live near the beach, I said as I called Stoller. The line rang a little longer than it should have rung. Then she picked up, I could hear the wind. Ms. Stola, this is Sam Crud. My secretary said you needed me to call. Oh, Sam, people are following me, she said overacting again. Your mailbox is full. Where are you? I'm at your hotel in the lobby. I had the officer drop me here after, after he talked to Sergeant Martin. Where's Lucy, I asked. She took a cab home. Stay right there in the lobby. I'll be right over. I can send my uncle down to pick you up. I immediately called Muck, and he agreed to escort Stola to the suite down the hall from Muck and Cookie's apartment. Sam, called Shirley. Bender just buzzed the office. I set down the phone and raced around the deck. What the hell does he want now? He's on his way over here. He sounded upset, Sam, said Shirley, making a face and she exposed her teeth. Well, good for him. The door flew open and the short little bender burst into my office, all five foot seven inches of him. Every time I saw Bender, I was amazed how his head was too big for his stinted frame. He was followed by two men in uniform. I didn't see Marty. Lieutenant Bender, we were just talking about you, I chuckled. Now I was nervous about St. Staller being at the hotel. Can't get through to your cell phone, cried. Guess I need some investigative excellence. Not funny. What do you want? Still sitting on Shirley's desk. Why did Megan Staller hire you? I stood and walked up to him. Don't you ever knock, Bender? Lieutenant Bender, he said, waddling over. Whatever. She wanted me. Bender crunched his lips and nodded, as if he had just solved E equals MC squared. Martin recommended you, didn't he? I have no idea. Ask Marty. You listen to me. You're just the house detective for the hotel, who's more impressed with his own self-importance in his so-called investigative company. Sounds like your resume. You, you back off on this crud. Let us handle it. His head resembled an inflated float that you might see at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City. I have a client, Bender, I said, but I didn't believe it got a case of transporting a body to that skiff you already know about compton don't you crud now that you told me (laughs) i said smiling at shirley you and that wise ass mouth of yours then he approached the left side of the desk and shirley backed up watch it said shirley back off bender i don't need you threatening my secretary anyone who works for you would be threatened Al Compton was a loser. He was killed somewhere, it doesn't matter, and they dumped the stiff on the skiff. Ah, such a way with words, I said, stepping closer. The stiff on the skiff, I'll have to remember that one. You just keep your nose out of police business, said Bender, raising his index finger. Then he slowly backed up, as if the film were running in reverse. Then he spun around and out the door, and it slammed behind him. I thought he would break the glass, surely? You know... He never threatened me about Woody getting him and Marty out of the marina. Because he doesn't know about Jackie Jumbo. Good old Woody. For now. I placed a call on my cell to Shorty at the hotel. But got his voicemail. This is Shorty. Drop your message in the box. (laughs) Shorty. Get the tape of Mrs. Crouch ready for the colonel. I'll be at the hotel in a half an hour. That'll buzz the colonel's buzz cut. I moved back into my office when the landline rang. I picked up the receiver. Sam cried. Yeah, yeah, as if you didn't know, said Marty. Sam, your voicemail is full. Thanks, Marty. I'll make a note of it. Yeah. Listen, Sam, have you made any calls about Rio Matos? Marty, I just got in the office. Okay. Compton's hotel called the Munson. I smiled. Well, that's downright neighborly of you letting me know that, Marty. Oh, I'm full of good news today. Officers Pollock and McAdams took Stola to the Oceano, and Bender's on his way over to your office, and he's tear-ass. Too late, Marty. Boom Boom and his two bodyguards already raided the office. Shirley produced a chickadee laugh from the outer office. (laughs) He told me to stay out of the Compton case. Oh. I suppose, Marty, now that you've told me about the Munson, I can go snoop around. What you do in your own time is your business, Sam. There was a long pause. Just let me know what you find out. There's still no verification that she is Compton's sister, I said. Come on, Sam. She left her wallet and Bellflower. So she says. She broke down when she saw Compton's body. She's a mess. No kidding, Marty. Yeah, if she's not acting. Come on, Sam. You're so cynical. I have to be. I looked through the blind slats toward the central lab buildings, then at the vet almost directly below in front of the meter. Thanks for the heads up about Bender. You know, I have to go by the book. Sort of. As I shook my head, Shirley called out. And the colonel wants you to call. He complained about your voicemail being full." I smiled as I wandered to the doorway. Shirley, the Munson Hotel in Rio Martos. Find out who the desk clerks are and the manager. You got it. Check online. and need printouts of what that place looks like and how many rooms, etc., etc. "'I'm looking now,' she said as I rounded the desk and looked up at the monitor. The huge glass picture window in front and the old-style white metal blinds, the place looked like it needed work. An arch of letters spelling the Munson filled the upper part of the window. Rooms were only $75 a night. An oversized entryway to the left had tile work inside and a block pattern of concrete surround. "'Wouldn't catch me in there,' said Shirley can't believe they even have a website i said you don't this is from a news story about a murder down there three months ago oh great perfect place to plan a murder or start a new religion ha i'll stay at home on the beach thank you very much said shirley i handed the little berry now secure in a plastic pouch from my glove compartment to shirley this is going to chippy cops overlooked that i smiled right and they may have fallen for stola's performance Maybe she is Compton's sister. Who knows? If she isn't Compton's sister, then somebody sent her to Marty, dressed to the hilt and charmingly sad. Why? asked Shirley. My gut tells me, Shirley, that she wanted to make sure Compton was dead. Which means outside people killed Compton. Someone needed to verify it. Shirley twiddled her red pencil. That theory is a stretch, Sam. Most theories are until they become fact. I just thought Stoller was overreacting. Maybe she is upset. I'll get the berry to chip this afternoon. Thank you, Shirley. I'm heading back to the hotel and Ms. Stoller and see if I can make sense of this woman. Then I'll grab Woody and we'll head up to the Munson before the sun goes down. That's a smart move. Use my phone if you need me. Carrying a gun, Sam? Asked Shirley. Always. Chapter 3 I've been tailed by hot sports cars, old 300 horsepower sedans, even a Harley, but never by a cube car. To say that I was insulted was an understatement. The aerodynamics on that vehicle resembled the worst possible design for speed and stability. I looked in the side mirror. The lime green boxcar must have been afloat at the Rose Parade. I shifted the vet and drove the loop around the hotel. The cube sputtered to the road shoulder and just hung there. Maybe I wasn't being tailed. I downshifted and entered the hotel's asphalt drive slowly and parked behind the Colonel's olive colored Jeep. I exited the bed and noticed splatted mud along the rear panel of the Colonel's Jeep, which was silly since it hadn't rained in Southern California for four weeks. The Colonel must have driven on the grass or maybe near the sprinklers. As the wind whipped across the grounds, I climbed the green carpeted staircase to the front entrance with the swaying gold letter sign. At night, the white background would become a soft magenta and the gold letters glowed blue. Parisio Oceanico, the furrowing flowers, white and yellow with a touch of blue, puffed up the flower boxes along the drive. At the top of the stairs, I turned to the ocean and my cell rang, District Attorney Karen Carnes. Wow. Hello, Karen, I turned away from the wind. I have a complaint in my hand from the medical examiner's office. You know, this investigative excellence they're promoting? You mean that Bender's promoting? (laughs) Right. She was 60 years old and reminded me of my grade school teachers. And what does that complaint say? I think Bud has allowed old grudges to become confabulation. He claims you faked a call to get him off the murder scene down at the marina this morning. He's requesting that I yank your license, quote. When I returned from my meeting with my client, neither Lieutenant Bender nor Dr. Cornford were there. For the record, did you place calls to the lieutenant or the doctor? No, I did not. Never mind that Woody did. I didn't think so, Sam. I'll speak to Chief Wilkins. Ralph is well aware of the lieutenant's feud with you. Sorry to bother you, Sam. I'll buy you a drink at the med next time. No problem, Karen. You have a good day cut the line and exhaled. First, I couldn't believe how effective Woody could be mimicking people. Cornford and Bender could prove nothing, but they knew I had returned to the boat, and that's what got them crazy. William worked the concierge desk as I entered along with four kids with a mother and a father trailing behind. After checking with the family, the gray-haired William, with his spiffy green uniform and hat right out of the land of Oz, had just a remnant of his British accent. He focused on me. Sam, my boy, you're uh, looking chipper for a man with no rest. Ah, contrary, my dear man. I snuck back into the garage for a few hours shut-eye this morning. Why, nice to be young. Come on, William, I'll be 33 next month. When I was 33, I sailed the world, said William. I did that last weekend, but she left town, I joked. He performed a sputtered nasal laugh. William wasn't sure whether I was telling the truth. I wasn't, but it sounded good. Now give her a kiss for me. Was a woman named Megan Stoller in the lobby? Whoa, ho, ho, a nice-looking woman, yes. Your uncle brought her and another woman up to the loft. Another woman? Yes, sir. Tough-looking, Sam, with tight-curled dark hair and a smattering of gray in the curls. She never smiled and she did all the talking as the nice-looking woman listened odd. Something's going on here. Thank you, William. Yes, sir. Is the colonel in? I asked. Behind the front desk. And I accentuate the word behind. Ah, as in ass, I said, as I saluted as I always did. William was still laughing as I walked into the huge carpeted concourse that resembled an ocean liner, and I headed to the long mahogany front desk. Colonel's wife, whom I referred to as Mrs. Colonel in private, i just finished up with a customer. Billy Burton, one of the bellboys in his green-brass buttoned uniform, smiled. I nodded. This kid was very funny, which infuriated the Colonel when he witnessed Billy's humor. Marion Crocker, once a real brunette, turned toward me. Her slightly wrinkled cheeks gave her age away. From behind, she looked 40. She liked me. The Colonel didn't. Hello, Sam. Marion, the Colonel in? The Colonel was called to a customer complaint in four four two. Uh oh. Apparently we have a complaint of a rodent. The colonel bring his gun. He would if he could, she said, smiling and nodding. Remember when he shot the gopher on the golf course? Shot at it. I was having lunch when I heard the rifle shot on the seventeenth Green. Oh well, don't tell the Colonel that. He claimed I put that little blankety blank out of his misery. The only thing he put out of commission was the 17th hole. I said, and Marion laughed so hard she fell back. Watch yourself there, Marion. I think you're closer to the truth, Sam. phone rang. Marion picked up the receiver. Marion Crocker. Oh, Colonel. We'll call the exterminator. No guns. By the way, Sam is at the front desk. She held the receiver away from her ear. Yes, Colonel. Yes, Colonel. I'll tell him. Problem? I asked. The colonel will be right up. I'll alert the troops, Marion smiled. Has Shorty been up here? Haven't seen him, Sam, said Marion, shuffling through the paperwork. I quickly dialed Shorty, but got his voicemail. Damn, what does it take to get the disc, or better yet, drag your ass out of bed, Shorty? Marion giggled. As the colonel would say, that's the pot calling the kettle. I looked over her shoulder. The colonel, back arched up with walked swiftly in his gray suit. A gold name tag was pinned to his handkerchief pocket. I knew, if required, Cracker Jack Crocker would relish wearing his full-dress uniform. He needed another bus cut because a slight wave was developing in front. "'What have you got to say for yourself, crud?' he asked in his military voice. I was getting antsy about Stoller and the other woman. "'I'm here to discuss the perch snatching on the deck last Thursday. "'You have the perpetrator?' Asked the colonel as he rounded the front counter. He was an inch taller than me, but he weighed 40 pounds less. Chatter is spreading among the patrons. We don't need that type of publicity. Shorty has the incident on tape. The man is not a man. The man was a woman, colonel. i find that hard to believe. Believe what you want. Where's the tape? Shorty has it, I said, wondering just where the hell Shorty had gone off to. Where is the little bastard? yelled the colonel rousing marion colonel watch your language this isn't the officers club in tangier's colonel mumbled something and then turned to me just as shorty emerged from the staircase door at five foot five shorty lived up to his name his hairline had long since receded and he had the beginnings of an expanded waistline over his silver buckled leather belt his huge mustache bothered the colonel carried a thin briefcase Good morning, Shorty, I called across the lobby. Shorty saluted as he walked. Lucky for you, cried. you always seem to come across the finish line at the last second. Always do. Good morning, Colonel, said Shorty with a West Texas twang he exaggerated as he put his briefcase on the wood counter. Cut the amenities, short stuff, barked the Colonel. I have the disc and printed up 8 by 10s of Ms. Purse Snatcher. Then Shorty just smiled at me, revving up the colonel all the more. Never mind, crud. Just get on with it, man. I haven't got all day. Oh, yeah. Shorty popped up the briefcase lock and the case sprang open. Colonel spun the briefcase around and slid out an 8x10 folder. He looked at the pictures. That woman is a teenager. I leaned over the colonel's shoulder. What do you say to that, colonel? She's wearing funny shoes. I rolled my eyes at Shorty. Let's get the photo to the cops downtown. Linda Dooley can post it. She's a dispatcher. Yeah, and you dated her, said the colonel. One date? What does that have to do with anything, colonel? I won't even go there, crud. He turned back to Shorty. Short stuff, get the picture to Chief Watkins. You'll end up in the circular file, colonel. That's an order. Go right to the top. I would follow the colonel's order, but would have a talk with Linda and give her a copy of the photo. Sometimes I thought the colonel just liked to give his orders. We should probably hire somebody to watch the deck, I told the colonel. He squinted his blue eyes. Already one step ahead of you, cried. I have Mr. Horowitz on the deck and observing as we speak. Horowitz has thick glasses, I said. We're only talking thirty or forty feet. At that time, Muck walked by the desk tipped his cap and rolled his eyes. Mr. Densmore. Yes, Colonel, said Muck. Sam, two packages were delivered. I rushed over to Muck and spoke in a low voice. Muck, who's the older woman? Megan said it was her sister Elaine. They're in the apartment? Muck nodded. What are you two jabbering about? yelled the Colonel from the desk. Buster was on the loose and went insane, barking at them. Well, I trust my dog. Make sure all the toilets are flushing properly before the weekend, Densmore. Yes, Colonel, said Muck. The magic words, yes, Colonel, that everyone employed to get the Colonel off their back. Muck was not going to flush 535 toilets between now and Friday night. Listen, Colonel, I have to be out tonight. The Colonel tightened his lips. I don't want to hear about your love life, cried. Good, because I won't tell you. I see. I see. He said, panning the counter as Marion waited on customers. Everyone dismissed. Yes, sir, I said just to pacify the colonel. Then I leaned toward Shorty as Muck started back to the deck. Shorty, yo. Do me a favor. Shorty opened his brown eyes and stroked his looping, wiry mustache. I need to know if anyone comes here looking for me. No case here? John S. Perlman case. That meant Shirley was involved. Also, a woman named Megan Stoller is staying with her sister Elaine in the room across from Muck and Cookie's room. I'm going up there now, but keep your eyes on her. If anyone meets with her or she's making a lot of calls, you get a hold of me. Regular rate? No, 20 bucks an hour. Hot damn! I think she's clean, but who knows? I said as the long-necked Woody walked in wearing sandals and an orange Hawaiian shirt that hung over his white shorts. Talk to you later, shorty. I won't let you down, Sam, said Shorty as he passed Woody. Woodrow? Woody stepped up to the counter. Woody, you know the colonel doesn't want you in here dressed like that. I got you a message, Sam. We're going up to Rio Martos, right? After I talked to Stoller and her sister. you Want me to join you uh, with Compton's sister? Asked Woody, raising his brows. No. Later, we'll snoop around that bar Finnegan's and visit Al Compton's so-called domicile. Stoller and his sister will be staying above the garage. Oh, you dog, Sam. Come on, Woody, tone it down. Have something to eat. I'll be back in a few minutes. I exited the hotel via the balcony, moving around the outside of the umbrella tables. Only half a dozen guests were eating outside because of the wind. I scurried down the white wood stairs and crossed the grass to the surround road. I heard Buster barking upstairs before I entered the garage. I ran up the side stairs and entered the upper hall. Buster was not in Muck and Cookie's apartment. I opened the bathroom door and Buster bolted toward the spare apartment. As Buster scratched at the door, I drew my gun. Then I slowly opened the door. Buster began sniffing as he moved ahead of me. I didn't like the way he hobbled inside the vacant apartment. And why had he been locked in the bathroom? You all right, Buster? By the way, Buster sniffed around the sofa, the landing phone and into the bathroom. I could easily see Stoller and her so called sister had bothered Buster in some strange manner. Then Buster began barking <coughs> again. It's okay, boy, sit. I felt around his hind quarters. He let out a quick yip when I touched his ribs. Damn them, I said as I stood. Buster kept looking around and his ears were furrowed like the umbrellas in the wind outside. I pushed Marty's phone number and patted Buster's head. I wondered if one of those women had kicked my dog in the ribs. Sam, this better be quick. I'm having lunch with Bender. He's at the desert bar. Stoller and her sister are gone, Marty. What? I could hear him stand and shake the table. Are you kidding me? All I wanted was to have a safe place for this woman, your client. You listen to me, Marty. You best call the DMV or somebody and get a damn license photo of a stoler and her sister. I'm telling you, that woman is somebody else. And she kicked or hit my dog. I don't know about any sister. Find out where they are, Marty. Call me later. I held the receiver out and bent down and fluffed up Buster's huge furry head. Did they kick you, boy? Buster produced a booming bark. I texted to Marty. S crud. Upstairs suite is locked. See muck. You better dust for prints. Investigative excellence. With Megan Stoller and his sister having slipped out of the hotel, Sam has info about Al Compton having lived in Morgan City. Next week we also meet Sam's friend Bad from college and now owner of his own trucking company and we'll dine at Oceano Beach's premier hangout, The Med. This is Robert P. Fitton flying over the 405 freeway and then up along the coast. See you next week. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.